Welcome to the Dry Bones Ministries podcast. Each week, we'll bring you inspiring homilies and powerful stories from real Catholics, all about the truth, goodness, and beauty of Christ and His Church. If you're interested in supporting the work that we're doing, you can visit drybonespgh.org or follow us on social media at drybonespgh. Thanks for joining us. We hope that you are reminded of how much the Lord loves you and that you hear His invitation for you to come to life. been praying for this day. I've been praying for all of you and praying that the Lord would give me uh, a word just to share with all of you because if you've been a part of everything that the parish has been doing, you've probably heard a lot on St. Matthew already. And so, oh, is there anything new? Always. <laughs> Always there's something new. It is the Word of God and this is a saint. This is a real person who, as he says in his own Gospel, the saints are not dead and God, but gone, but they are alive in the glory of God. And so, who is St. Matthew? Well, I guess as I was thinking and praying about it, I couldn't help but go back to one of my courses in seminary. It was an introduction to the Gospels. And I remember on the very first class, this professor looked out at all of us and just asked us what sounded like a softball question. Does anyone know how many Gospels there are? It's like, is this a trick question? <laughs> like, four. No. Another hand went up. Four. No. <laughs> We're like, uh, why don't you tell us? And finally he's like, there is one gospel and four accounts of that one gospel. And we were all just shaking our heads like, oh man, it's going to be a long semester. <laughs> but it was a helpful point, like right at the beginning to appreciate, like there is one gospel, one evangelion, one good news with four different accounts, four different glimpses. Maybe by analogy we could say there is one city of Pittsburgh, but many different ways of approaching it. I don't know, this view coming in from 28 South is just a little bit different than coming in from 279 South or coming in from 376 East to come in through the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Like, wow, that's the city. And it's the same city, but depending on how you look at it, it gives it a totally different view, a totally different appreciation of that same city. And to appreciate, right, these four different Gospels, especially Matthew, there's this ancient, ancient tradition of associating the four different Gospels with the four different creatures that St. John depicts in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 7. There are these four creatures. There's the eagle, the lion, the ox, and the winged man. John has always been associated with the eagle for this incredible connection. John has this high Christology starting with the, in the beginning was the Word and the Word then became flesh because why? Eagles are not only the highest flying creature, but there's also this tradition that says that they are the only creature that has eyes that are able to look directly into the sun. Beautiful, huh? That John would be able to get his insight straight from his contemplative heart. Mark is associated with the lion. It's the symbol of royalty. So think of Christ the King, but also the resurrection. There's a legend that lions sleep with their eyes open. And no one's been able to get close enough to a lion to unverify that count. But there you have it. Luke is associated with the ox. He's the figure of sacrifice, service, and strength. And think about how in Luke's Gospel it starts with Zechariah's sacrifice. It ends with the sacrifice of Jesus. And how about the winged man? Well, here we have Matthew. 
Matthew, it is this human angel, it is this natural and supernatural creature, that it is Matthew that starts with this beautiful genealogy to bring us into the humanity of Jesus Christ, grounded in a real place, in a real time, fulfilling everything that's come before him, and yet everything's new. Reading through the Gospel of Matthew, you realize God is on the move, he is doing something new, and with his grace and with his mercy, he is transforming the world around him. Where does Matthew's Gospel compare to the others? It's been said by many, it's the greatest book ever written. Think about that. The greatest book ever written, right? Not just in all of literature, but just think about the greatest book of, is the Bible, and in that, that is Matthew's Gospel that is the most comprehensive. In many ways, it's associated with Matthew himself, which means that it has apostolic origin, which means this Gospel was written from a first-hand eyewitness. And so when we read Matthew's Gospel, we're able to enter into someone who was there, who was walking with him, who heard him firsthand, who was able to see these miracles, the multiplication of the loaves, the restoration of sight to the blind and the lame to rise up. He was there. If you look at the early church fathers, they quote Matthew's Gospel more than anyone else. It's this, for this reason, that he's given a primacy at the beginning of just about every single New Testament. We start with Matthew. And so here's this thing, right? I'm not here to give you a, a scripture lesson, but I guess I want to take it from like that perspective of appreciating this glimpse of Jesus Christ, who he is, and now to appreciate. So what does that tell us about Matthew? Who's he? Who's the mystery of this person who was called into a relationship with him and how is it that Matthew is inviting us deeper and deeper into this life of a disciple? I think for this parish, found under his patronage, I think Matthew teaches us three important things. First of all, what it means to be a witness of a personal conversion. Second of all, this belief in God's supernatural transforming grace. And third, an acceptance of the task to evangelize. Are you ready? Let's go to this incredible account of, in Matthew's Gospel, his conversion story. I'm guessing you know it. I'm guessing you've heard it. But pray, God, please, like, may we never get tired of hearing, especially you all this parish, never get tired of hearing this brief but so sweet account of Matthew's conversion. It's found in the ninth chapter, and it goes like this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. It's one verse. I'm sorry. It's one verse. And yet it captures so much. What was going on in this scene? What was going on in Matthew's heart? What was going on in the context? What was going on in Jesus' mind as he was able to see Matthew, notice him, and then slowly but surely finally come at the right moment to step in in a way that all it took were just two words to call him out of his own life into this relationship with him. Friends, there's this incredible depiction of this scene by a Renaissance painter, Caravaggio, 
and he depicts it in all this incredible detail that lends itself to even greater and greater reflection for Jesus comes on the scene with this aggressive stance, this assertion that comes in one step forward and his hand comes out curled like this, his finger pointing down right to Matthew. But to get to Matthew, you have to pass through a number of different characters. The first one right there is this young man and he's just shocked. Who is this guy? And who does he think that he is, this Jew calling this tax collector, this faithful servant of Rome, the occupying force, to be able to um, serve as a tax agent? Who is he? And there's this shock, like, you can't do this. I can't believe you're doing this. And yet you look back at Jesus and he's just fixed. I'm doing it. And then the next person is this finger like, is he talking to me? Like, please don't tell me that he's pointing to me. He's looking at himself thinking it's him, and yet Jesus continues to point right into Matthew. And this finger, right, continues to like have this primary place in the picture, this finger that might even make us think to another Renaissance painter, Michelangelo, who on the Sistine Chapel, as he was depicting the creation of the first man, Adam, has God the Father coming out of his cloud from heaven with this same finger coming down to touch Adam, who in response has his hand coming up like this. And in this incredible way, we have this glimpse back to the original creation that is through God's first divine touch that life is now formed, that the first man, Adam, has this relationship with God. And so that now we're brought to Jesus. It's this new finger. It's this new creation. It's this new redemption. It's mercy at the fingertips of the new man, Matthew. But will he respond? Will he put out his finger in response? Right? Like, this is the question. This is the invitation of Matthew's conversion that hopefully we never get tired of considering and placing ourselves right in the scene. And to look at the way that Caravaggio depicts him, if you know this painting, it's incredible. There's Matthew looking down, not at Jesus. He can't bring himself to actually look at the reality yet. He's down, he's at his booth, and he has his hands on the money. There he is, we can only imagine him, someone who's very well educated, someone who's a scribe, someone who's a mathematician, someone who's an accountant. What is the calculation going on in his mind, in his heart? Is he counting the cost? Is he going through what it actually is going to cost him if he were to actually respond to this, follow me? What will that look like? Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been to this moment of understanding how God is reaching out His hand to you and to me, calling us out of the life that we're in, out of the drudgery of sin, or out of the monotony of the world that just continues to pull us into everything that is so secular, so pagan, so materialistic and hedonistic that God just wants to yank us out, and yet what do we do? Oh, that, it's going to be tough to give up. You mean I can't watch that Netflix show anymore? You mean I can't talk that way? I can't gossip anymore? I can't swear anymore? You mean I can't drink like that? I can't eat like that anymore? Does that mean I'm going to have to give up my Sunday brunch, my Sunday breakfast? Does that mean that I'm going to have to give up? Right? We start thinking about like what I'm going to have to give up. And this is Matthew who counts it. He knows it. But in this we understand he makes the gift of himself. He gets up and he follows him. Beautiful, huh? That this is who you have as your saint. He is Matthew. His name comes from the, is probably an abbreviation from Matataya, which means gift of God or gift of the Lord. 
that the gift of himself actually comes from God. Isn't this beautiful? John says, we love because he first loved us. And so that he understands the gift of God that's been given him to this new life, this mercy, and then responds. Do you remember what he does to celebrate? He invites Jesus over to his house for a banquet, and along with Jesus and his disciples, he has all of his tax collector buddies and all these other sinners who are just known to be publicly unclean and unable to receive a Jew in good standing. And yet, here the scribes and the Pharisees come and say, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Friends, this reference to Hosea says in this incredibly beautiful way who Jesus is. It emphasized God's overwhelming preference for the true inward devotion, that inward transformation, than anything that might be seen as external observance to the law, right? Everything that the Jews held to be so important, Jesus was coming, and on the move, he's turning the tables upside down, and he's saying, I'm not looking for external observance, I'm looking for internal observance. I want a heart that's dedicated and devoted to me, unafraid to even be scandalous to the world. Friends, this is your patron here at this parish. What a beautiful invitation it is for all of us to have that conversion daily, to offer the gift of ourselves. Friends, this is St. Matthew. He he invites us to personal conversion. The second thing that he invites all of us to, but especially you here at this parish, he invites you to a belief in God's supernatural grace. And notice how this follows, right? Because we so want to read stories like Matthew and want to think like, oh, he had this one-time incredible encounter with Jesus Christ, and then he was converted, and then he was a saint, and he was smooth sailing from there on out, right? Right? And then Jesus went to the cross, and all of his disciples left him. Matthew, like all of us, are not prone to a one-time conversion but a daily conversion and every single day needing more and more to know I need God's mercy. I need His grace to transform me more and more every single day. So notice, right? Matthew's in no way to write this gospel saying like, I've got it all figured out and here's what it is and let me witness to you what it means. He comes to us to witness to God's grace is real. You can rely on it, especially in the sacraments, especially through prayer, especially through the church. Do you think that the Jews in the Old Testament had it easier than we do today in the New Testament? Sometimes we fall into a comparison game of, well, the Jews had all of these laws, they had all of these commandments, and Jesus offers us one commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And maybe we're tempted to say like, whew, glad we got out of the difficulty of that Old Old Testament, that Old Covenant with all of the restrictions, all of the laws, and all of these different dietary things, and now we're free. And yet, have you ever read Matthew's Gospel, especially the Sermon on the Mount? It's like, whew, at least I don't have to kill anybody anymore. Jesus says, no, 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 I give you a new commandment. It's not just about you shall not take life. I tell you, even one who is angry has committed a sin. 
And maybe we're tempted to think like, oh gosh, just with God's new commandments, it's easier, right? And Jesus doubles down and he says, no, no, I'm calling you not only to respect the marriage covenant between one man and one wife in a lifelong indissoluble bond, but even someone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her. It's like, oh, come on, Jesus. Like, Let lighten up. That's hard. And he goes through these different teachings, right? And here's Matthew talking about this. And he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What did that sound like to a first century Jew? Because here's Matthew, right? Like there he is. Talk about one who knew it so well. And talk about when he talks about the Pharisees. They were ones who stood above the rest. They were the observers. They were the models to be able to imitate and follow. And Jesus says, no, that's not enough. I want your heart to be transformed. Unless we then think the bar has been set too high, that we might say, why bother? Listen to this promise. Whoever obeys and teaches these commandments will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Friends, just for a moment, I want to talk about greatness. And thinking about this, I just think back to like my college days when I was surrounded by so many people who were encouraging me not to settle, but to strive for the heights. Now just think about it in all the ways, right? In college, I was studying math. I was up at Penn State and I was studying math and I just wanted to be a, a high school math teacher and there I were just surrounded by all of these friends who at any time that we had a tough assignment, tough homework or tough evaluation, tough test, I had friends who were saying, let's go for it. Let's go for an all-nighter. Let's do whatever it takes. More Red Bull, more coffee or whatever it takes. And there it was, like no matter how hard it was going to be, I would have friends to be able to help me enter in. I was also playing basketball in college, so I remember being surrounded by these other men who were willing to say, let's work even harder, let's push even farther, let's hit the weight room, let's get to the gym. In all these ways that I was able to be encouraged to greatness. And even then, what's so sadly typical in college, I had plenty of friends, probably don't have to convince you, who say, settle? No, why have one drink when we can have 20? Or whatever else was so sadly perverted, right? Like to think about how in our world we have so many people encouraging us to not settle, and yet what's our experience with the faith? I just remember in college my experience of going to church. I could travel just five minutes away to this parish church. It was well known. It was a 35-minute Sunday Mass. You could get in and out. It was called the drive through Mass. <laughs> you had people there to welcome you and say, thanks for coming to Sunday Mass. You must be from college. It's so good that you're here. And, and the homily, instead of an exhortation to challenge us to live out virtue and to live out the gospel and all of its demands, was more like a pat on the back than anything else. And good job. Keep going. And I just remember at that time, like, wait, I'm being challenged in every other aspect of my life. But whenever I come to church, it seems like the bar couldn't be lower. We're not actually going to demand anything from you or expect anything from you, but we're just going to say, we'll make it easier. And the contrast in my mind was just so hard, right? And you just think about how this is not the gospel. This is not what Matthew was able to encounter whenever he heard Jesus' words that inspired us not to settle for mediocrity, but actually to strive higher than the Pharisees, higher than the scribes. How can we do this if God's grace isn't real? Here's what's amazing. Matthew believed it. 
And this is why, and just like, you know, I was just praying over Matthew's gospel and preparing for this, and I was just wondering if in Matthew 19, wherever he talks about Jesus' demand for us to forgive and to have mercy, and do you remember the story, the parable that he gives about this man who's called in to give an account for his entire debt, and whenever he comes and stands before the master, he's punished and says, your debt is so large, to pay it back it would take lifetimes that you and your family will be thrown into prison. He says, mercy, Lord, mercy. And the master forgives him. But what does then this steward do, right? He goes and then he goes to all of his debtors that owed him a much smaller amount that account not for lifetimes of payment, but a couple months. And he says, pay back what you owe now. And they say, mercy, please. And he says, no. And what happens whenever the the master, an image of the Lord, finds out about what his steward has done? He sends him to the prison with his family and with his generations to come where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. And unless you do not forgive from your heart, you will not receive mercy from the Father. Did Matthew understand what it means to really receive the mercy from God better than anyone else? And did he understand the difficulty of what it means to then really share that mercy with others? And I just wonder, right, in Matthew's life of struggling, even with his own struggle to forgive, and only his difficulty to receive God's mercy, did he also encounter the romance of God? Matthew talks about, unlike any other gospel, Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven like a wedding banquet. And why, if not Matthew has encountered Jesus as being the bridegroom himself, the one to romance us into this relationship where he's going to work with us, he's going to wait for us, but he's also going to pursue our hearts and he's not going to settle until he has all of us. Right? This is what Matthew brings us into and this is what I just see as this incredible invitation for St. Matthew Parish. To not settle, right? And I just wonder if in the last couple decades our church has done way too much to lower the bar, lower to the bar. It's just about being a good person or don't be a jerk. And we've lost this entire language of what it means to be virtuous and the difficulty that it takes to really pray and really to accept the invitation to be completely conformed to Jesus Christ. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. Of course, but it takes all of us and even more than that, a reliance on God's grace and mercy. St. Matthew, pray for us. The third way that Matthew wants to invite us today and every day moving forward is the acceptance of the Great Commission. This is Matthew 28. Hopefully we know it. Hopefully we haven't forgotten it. Jesus says at the very end of his life to all of his disciples, who are not only the 11 there, but even to the hundreds who are there, go. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Do you know that sadly this has been called the Great Omission as opposed to the Great Commission? The Great Omission, right? This incredible entrustment of 
Go. If you want to be my disciple, you need to baptize. You need to convert others. You need to let them know the good news so they can come to be in a relationship. And we look around today, and there are six people leaving the church for every one that comes in right now. We talk about evangelization, and most people are like, no, no, that's for the priests. Or that's for the, hmm. We need to hire a director of evangelization. He'll do it. Like, that'll be his job, right? And we forget that Jesus was talking to every single disciple. The church has established this over and over again, as difficult as it is, that the church in who she is, is an evangelizer, is one who evangelizes, which means what? For all of the great things that can be happening in the church, for all of the great things that can happen in the diocese or just to bring it personal, right here at St. Matthew Parish, there can be so many different things that look like we're doing so well, or we have all this life, or we're doing all this. If we're not bringing people into the church to know Jesus Christ, to love Him with all of our hearts, souls, and minds, and to serve Him, we're not being faithful. We're missing the invitation to evangelize and failing to actually be a disciple. And this is hard, right? But here's this beautiful thing. Matthew witnesses, it just starts with one. It just starts with one. It starts with knowing my own sinfulness, my own brokenness, my own need for God's mercy to be able to respond back with great humility and great courage to know my brokenness that that now, even though I'm disgraced by the rest of society, everyone might say, like, we know what you did before. That I can be this witness personally, but I've been made new. I know His mercy. I've been to that sacrament of confession. I've been made new. This is what it means to be able to be faithful to Jesus Christ. Tradition says that Matthew went out. He didn't stay, but he went to Ethiopia. And he went there to the territory and laid down his life. And he was martyred there by the king whenever he, up, whenever he was celebrating Mass at the Holy Altar. It was said that the king was lusting after his own niece and had been rebuked by Matthew. For the girl was a nun and therefore a bride of Christ and he was willing to step in and say, don't you dare. Friends, this is the witness of Matthew. This man who wasn't afraid to accept the mercy, the grace of Jesus Christ, that invitation to continual conversion, trusting in the reality of God's supernatural grace. And then he knew that God was with him to evangelize and to bring that to everyone he met. St. Matthew, just beg you for your intercession upon this parish. May they, through your heart, your life, receive what they need to be faithful to Jesus Christ, to respond with everything, holding nothing back, not counting the costs, but setting their hand to the plow and not looking back. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.